Not only do children have the, small children have the ability to get everyone around them sick, because they're so adorable and loving, and that's great. They also have another ability that we don't lose, we just don't practice very much after we're children. Nothing in your life you would have accomplished without this ability, this God-given gift. Nothing you've done in your life could have been possible without this gift. Children are the most remarkable with it. As we grow up, we become less and less attuned to what is actually going on in it. We still use it. What's this power? The imagination. Our ability, our God-given a gift to imagine. Before something happens, it has to be in my imagination. I can't do a five-course meal for somebody if I don't first imagine what that would look like, what I would need, what I would, and then follow through those steps. Imagination is one of the most powerful gifts of the Lord that He's given us. Because what is it used for? It's a good that's used for us in order to imagine God Himself. Imagine my life being a saint. Imagine heaven, where Mary, St. Joseph, all the saints, our loved ones, are together for us who persevere in the faith, in hope and love, and in God's mercy are accepted into heaven. So this power of imagination, where does it go as we get older? Because it's not gone. We may not know about it, but two sources definitely know about imagination. The media and advertisement. Advertising has your imagination captured. I love truck ads. I love the vehicle ads. Because the vehicle ads like show you driving a vehicle, whatever it is, in some place you're never going to be unless you're on vacation for one week or two weeks. It tries to get us into imagine life simply without any daily routine. Just here, buy this vehicle and you'll be happy. Or... Deep dish pizza, DiGiorno. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno, right? It makes it look so good, and like, that pizza's going to fulfill me. And then I just had it the other night. Not so fulfilling. Nope. Wasn't even close to the best pizza I ever had. But the advertising world plays on our imagination and says, if you have this, then happiness will happen. If you have this, then suffering won't happen. More importantly for us. Who here has like 500 pairs of gloves and every one of them promised that your hands were going to still be warm? Anyone? Yeah, it doesn't happen. But we buy into it because of the imagination. Our imagination has been hijacked to believe that there's going to be this time that all of a sudden I'm going to be filled and happy while here. Because of this, that, and the other thing, I'm going to become happy. Which we totally can be. We can be happy right now. 
We can be joyful right now. It's not a destination. It's just being aware of how much God's loving me right now, right here. So this imagination, right? Movies play on it. Movies playing on it. I can only imagine living on Mars because of Mark Watney in The Martian. I can only imagine what I can imagine because of somebody going before me. But to actually do that, I would have to be a NASA engineer to know those things. But at Imagine, our imagination makes us be able to do what we do. And so today, Jesus is put to Jesus this speculative question, this imaginary question. What is heaven going to be like? The Sadducees are trying to disprove heaven. That's why they have this whole entire conversation. Because Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sadducees didn't believe. Have you guys heard this joke? Why are the Sadducees sad? Because they don't believe in the resurrection. Okay, that was a joke. Anyways, you're sad, you see? Anyways, that's how we remembered it in all of theology school, honestly. You're sad, you see? Anyway, so the Sadducees are trying to disprove the resurrection, trying to disprove heaven. And Jesus goes above their understanding of what heaven is. And he goes, you're neither given nor taken in marriage. You'll be like angels, not angels. You'll be like angels. Well, Jesus is very much aware of our ability to imagine this question. And so he goes into it and informs our imagination on what heaven's going to be like. But by doing that, he also gets to a basic tenet of marriage. If marriage is until death do we part... And we're not given or taken in marriage in heaven. What is essentially he- what is essentially marriage? What is the root of marriage? What should be the root of marriage? A self-sacrificing love, dying to my ego to live for the other. Because in heaven. That's what embraces us. That's why we can't be given or taken in marriage. Because everyone is going to be loved. Everyone's going to be in that, in that peace and in that harmony for those who accept God's loving plan for their life. So Jesus goes into this. We'll be angel-like. We won't be angels, but we'll be angel-like. What does that mean? We're not going to die. We're already not going to die. We were Baptists, which means we're not going to die. We have an eternal destiny. It's up to us where we end up, but we have an eternal destiny. But this real sense that in this heaven will be like angels. What do angels do? They praise and adore the Lord. They gaze on Him. They're in complete harmony. They do the Lord's will. That's where the saints are. Capital, well, even lowercase saints. So they're proposing this this question. But back to that whole entire idea of imagination. In Maccabees, in the book of Maccabees, you have these brothers 
and his mother, these seven brothers and another seven brothers and a mother, they're being put to death because they won't eat bacon. Because there's laws, right? So the highest law is divine law. The next would be ecclesial law. Then it would be human law. Then it would be, well, human law, civil law, liturgical law. All these ranks of laws. But the highest is divine law. And so they're not going to violate the divine law from their ancestors, from God. I'm not going to eat unclean animals. I'm not going to eat pork. Okay, you're going to be put to death. What does the fourth brother say? All right, sounds good. Here are my arms. There are lords given to me. Lord, give them back. They'd be great. How is he able to do that? How is he able to do that? And everyone else is shocked by his confidence level. The pagans are shocked by his confidence level. Why? Because he wasn't paying attention to the deep dish pizza. He wasn't paying attention to the advertising. He was filling his heart up with Scripture. He was filling his heart up with what actually gives us life. Faith, hope, and love. Life of virtue. So when it comes to this moment, it's like, yeah, no, I can imagine having my arms back. Take them. They're the Lord's anyways. He'll give them back to me. So that begs the question for you and I. What is in our imagination? What do we imagine when we're stressed out, freaked out, insecure, or when we're happy, go lucky? What is in our imagination? What do we return to? When I'm freaked out, stressed out, do I turn to Scripture and go, be still and know that I am God? Do I let that resonate in my heart? Or do I turn to Netflix and watch another episode after another episode after another episode? Who here loves... Anyone here can, like, stand cliffhangers? Anyone, like, love cliffhangers? Okay, I love cliffhangers because I'm like, wow, that's really well-written, especially Stranger Things. That... Those writers are amazing. But why? Because they're doing their job of engaging our imagination. They leave a cliffhanger so that we can't stop thinking about it. What's going to happen? I don't know. It needs to be resolved. They're geniuses in engaging our imagination. They've hijacked it. They've engaged our imaginations so far more than we, than I even understand. So, when I'm in that mood, all right, Lord, <laughs> this is my prayer. You can, I would say, go after this one. Lord, I know that whatever X is, isn't going to fulfill me. But right now, all I want to do is watch Netflix. Or all I want to do is watch this movie. Or all I want to do is watch the news. Or all I want to do is you fill in the blank, X, Y, Z. I know it's not going to fulfill me, but this is all I want to do. 
And what does that engage? That engages our conversation in prayer with the Lord and recognizing the reality He's only going to fulfill me. Not that this isn't a good here and now and watching this video, right? Or watching this, right? Not that it can't be a good. It's not sinful. But it's acknowledging the goodness that's there but saying, you know, one episode, I'm going to bed. Because if I watch a second episode, I'm going to be empty. It's turning our gaze to the Lord even in the moment of what we think we want. That will fulfill us. St. Paul today, he's encouraging the Thessalonians. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God our Father, who has given us everlasting encouragement and the good hope through his grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen them in every good deed and word. St. Paul is engaging the Thessalonians' imagination. Imagine, what would be a good thing I could do today? What would be a loving thing I could do today? And then do it. Interesting. Imagine persevering in the Lord and doing those goods. Or in a good word. When I get home from work, what is a good and loving thing I can say when I get home? After a stressed day, what can I say that'll actually be good? That I don't have to say the negative right when I get in the door. That I can say the loving thing. So that love is the first thing out of my mouth. And what does that engage? It engages our imagination. It engages us looking to the Lord and say, I can imagine myself being a virtuous person. I can imagine myself having a prayer life. Lastly, imagination. The reality of things. Scripture can take hold of our imagination. The sacrament can take hold of our imagined sacraments can take hold. How through the words of a priest, through the absolution of a priest, are my sins forgiven? How has the Lord called me to the sacrament of marriage? How am I to live out this marriage? How am I living out this baptism, this confirmation? The biggest, craziest mystery. The Eucharist. Talk about engaging your imagination for all eternity. Why does God want to be with his people in all the tabernacles of all the world, even until the end of time? Because he doesn't want to leave us alone, is the simple question. He doesn't want to leave you, in particular, alone. The infinite mystery of the Eucharist, engaging our imagination. Why? How? What? 
And you're like, Father, I don't, I don't do mysteries. Mysteries aren't my thing. <laughs> you married a mystery. <laughs> we don't know why we fall in love. All of a sudden, we're in love. It's a mystery to ourselves, if we're honest. You're sitting next to a mystery. Every person created by God is a mystery. The personhood of you is different than the personhood of anyone else ever in existence. That's why God can say, I know you better than you know yourself. Because he's the infinite. We don't know why we fall in love. The one next to us is a mystery. We don't understand our wives. We don't understand our husbands. I set that up in Mankato when I was a deacon and a gentleman after Mass came back to the back of church and he goes, Father, or deacon, you know what's worse than having a, uh, a wife that does understand you or one that doesn't understand you? I said, no, I have no idea. He goes, one that does. A wife that does understand you is worse. I was like, okay, I'll use that in my homilies. Thanks. But that real sense, we don't really get each other. We do on some level, but that mystery. So today we receive that mystery. We receive Jesus himself in what looks like bread and tastes like wine. He's God. He's outside of anything we can comprehend. The infinite mystery. Today Jesus gives us a sneak preview that marriage... It's supposed to be for love. It's supposed to be getting us to heaven. And once in heaven, sheer love with all of humanity and God.